You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jenna Sargent, news editor of SD Times. Hi, all, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This episode is going to be a bit different than our usual episodes. Usually when we record the podcast, we schedule a recording specifically for the podcast, but in this case, this is actually a conversation I had for an article I was writing about low-code security, and we thought it would make a good episode. I spoke with Mark Nunnikoven, who is a distinguished cloud strategist at Lacework, which is a cloud security company. Mark actually recently wrote a contributed article for SD Times on this topic, And that article was called, Do Low-Code and No-Code Platforms Pose a Security Risk? I'll include a link to that article in our show notes, and I recommend you give it a read. Anyway, back to what I was saying about this episode being different than normal. Because this was just going to be for research for my article, I only recorded Mark's side of the conversation. So I will be hopping in with the questions I asked him. So if it sounds a bit unnatural and different than normal, that's why. But this conversation was just too good not to share, so hopefully it's worth it. So to start off our conversation, I was curious about the relationship between security and citizen developers, which are people in the company in non-development or IT roles that are using low-code or no-code to create applications. Unlike traditional developers who are constantly having to think about security and possibly even working with a security team, Citizen developers might not have ever had that exposure or that relationship with the security team at the company, if there is one. So what should they know? And are companies taking the time to properly train them and make sure they are following security best practices? I wish (laughs) it would be nice, Um, you know, and even uh, like we still struggle and have challenges uh, from a security perspective of connecting with more traditional development models. We're getting better, especially over the last, you know, five to 10 years. There's been a big push to push uh, to get security earlier in the development process. And that's a very good thing. Um, The challenge with low code and no code is that, you know, I like the term you're using there, citizen developer. I think that's, that's a very good one. And that's what we want from a business perspective. We want more people able to solve directly solve their own problems because they understand those problems better, right? You, you reduce the friction to, to creating a solution. And ideally, that solution is better because if you're solving your own problem, you tend to know that problem pretty well. And so the challenge, I think, there is, is not just with the use of low-code, no-code, but it's amplified by it, is that there's a big gap in security programs that we don't generally teach team members or people in the organization how information can be used or what's acceptable use of information. And that, I think, is the number one challenge, and it's about to get worse with the low-code, no-code. So we don't teach you, uh, like, hey, you've got access to you know all of our Salesforce information, Jenna, and here's what appropriate use looks like. We just say, oh, you, you know, you're in sales or you're in marketing, and you should have access to that, so here you go. And uh, that's a problem, period. 
that's a worse problem when low code, no code now allows you to manipulate that data and connect that data to other systems. Because if you don't understand what appropriate use of that um, information is, you don't understand what inappropriate use is. And I think that's the real challenge with these um, platforms is it's exposing a gap in our information management or our information security programs that we don't often talk about because we're so focused on the cybersecurity. So the nuts and bolts of how we secure digital systems, not the information in those systems. I was also interested in the relationship between supply chain attacks and low code. There's been an increased awareness of this lately because attackers have increasingly been focused on getting into the development pipeline rather than attacking the application itself. So since traditional developers have to worry about this, do low code developers also have to worry about this? Yeah, we haven't seen evidence of that yet, but uh, that's in, inevitably that will start happening um, because that principle of, you know, going into the supply chain of going, uh, you know, attacking developers instead of the developed product, there's two things at work there. And essentially it's one is scale. So if you can go earlier upstream and attack something that's widely used downstream, your one attack gets you more benefit, right? And so we saw that with um, uh, multiple supply chains. Um, you know, the Kaseya attack uh, last year or might have been two years at this point, um, where attackers hit a managed service provider and thus got all of their clients. Um, and so that's one thing is them is it's sort of an economy of scale for their attack. Um, and the second aspect of it that we see is, um, and again, this one very directly to the developer aspect is there are different weaknesses and potentially easier weaknesses to exploit in different areas. So if the front door is deadbolted and locked, but the back door is open, go through the back door, right? Or better yet, if the front board, uh, you know, uh, the front door is deadbolted and locked and you can knock on the door and someone's going to let you in, that's a smarter way to attack. And I think we will inevitably see that as low code, no code starts to gain popularity someone will will either make a supply chain attack by saying, hey, here's a component you can use or something as simple as here's a tutorial of how to connect X to Y. And there's a bit of malicious slip in there um, is, is quite likely. Uh, the fortunate side is we're early in the adoption cycle for low-code, no-code technologies. And so we have a chance to add security in um, at the platform level to help people move forward. But yeah, it's inevitable as things gain popularity, attackers will point out. Um, their resources towards them. We also started talking about specific security risks, as well as the creation of the OWASP Top 10 for low-code. If you haven't heard that acronym before, the OWASP Top 10 is a list of 10 of the most critical security risks for web applications. So on the regular list, there's things like broken access control or outdated components. But now the organization has started a new separate list specific to low-code applications. I gave a talk at RSA uh, this year, um, which was about the security uh, risks of low-code, no-code tools. And my argument in that uh, talk was essentially, we're not mature enough yet to take advantage of the OWASP top 10, um, which is sort of the ideal time to develop the 
iOS 12.10 when it's early and people are, you know, will come into um, a security focus and it's already there. And we've seen a lot of great work on the uh, low code, no code top 10 already. It's been through multiple revisions, which is great. Um, but this is why I went with the sort of broad categorization of these platforms into contained where everything generally stays and connected where you're making connections to the other side. Because if you can understand that, okay, this is a low code, no code platform that is connecting a bunch of stuff together, then you start to understand where the two biggest risks end up being. And the first one is a bit technical, but it's an easy one to understand, is that because these platforms are targeted, uh, like you said, the citizen developers, the connections made between systems tend and to be using that person's credentials. So if I, Mark, am making an application and I'm connecting something like Salesforce to a low-code, no-code, and then to some sort of storage uh, um, tool like a Dropbox or Box or whatever, the connections made for that application right now tend to default to being me. And if I'm the only user of that app, that's okay. But the whole point of these is to make a reusable tool. So if I'm sharing that tool with my team, now all of the connections to Salesforce and all of the connections to that storage come under my name and my credentials. And so from a security perspective, we lose visibility and we lose um, that uh, sort of uh, audit trail to find out if something did go wrong, Where, how can we trace that back? Because everything's made with that one connection. And that actually is currently uh, based on the latest update to the OWASP. 10, that's number one risk. And they've actually recognized that as an account impersonation. Basically, you're connecting it as you instead of a generic account that's got its own uh, security tools behind it. Um, and then the second biggest risk yeah, that we need to be aware of is really just the use of information. And this is always a tricky one to talk about because it sounds really pedantic when we talk about the differences between information security and cybersecurity, but there is actually a difference. So cybersecurity is all about, you know, the firewalls, the anti-malware, the, the, the security controls that we're putting on our, our digital systems. But what we really need to worry about is the information. So information security, and we trust our users to behave responsibly with information. But part of that trust and part of that um, requirement on the security team and on the organization is to explain what that is. What is okay to do with this information? And a lot of people are used to not being able to, you know, see the HR records of people. Um, you know, yet if you become a manager now, you may have access to the HR um, files for your employees. And that we've said is okay. But, and we provide some training saying like here, you know, you should be, um, this is how you need to treat that information. But that concept applies across everything. If we give employees access to different information, there should be an expectation and an understanding of how that can be used. And when you apply that into a no-code, low-code world, these low-code, no-code platforms are really designed to help you as an, uh, a team member, as an, a member of an organization, maximize the use of data and information. And they do a wonderful job of that. And, you know, nothing I, I say should be taken as a discouragement of the adoption of these tools. I think they are going to help solve a ton of business problems in a really effective way. But we also need to say, hey, if you're going to be using the quarterly forecast reports, here's an appropriate, here's the appropriate use of those. If you're going to be using, um, you know, this customer information, here's the limits on what you can do with it. And that, I think, is something people can address today. 
because it's not a technical discussion. It's a process discussion. And that's something we tend to shy away from because the technical stuff is maybe a little bit more interesting and a little bit easier to do without the hard part of communicating and educating, which takes a lot of consistent effort and repeating the message over and over again. So while we were talking about OWASP, I also asked about its role in giving organizations something to focus in on when it comes to security. If a company knows what the major risks are to their low-code applications, it can help guide them in their security planning. Yeah, um, it, it does. And it's that's one of the two roles of the sort of the OWASP top 10 series of lists. And so um, Michael Barguri is leading the effort for low code, no code, um, and they're doing a phenomenal job uh, at, at making sure that this is coming up to speed in a reasonable way. And, you know, it's to be expected over time, the list will change. But the idea of this is is essentially twofold, is that you as a organization who are adopting low-code, no-code should be able to look at the OWASP top 10 and say, here are the main security concerns as agreed by sort of the experts in the community. How am I going to address these within my environment? Um, so uh, we know that, you know, the top two are essentially that credential issue we discussed as far as if I make an app, everything is under mark as a connection. So how do we want to handle that? What's technically possible, what's um, realistically, uh, you know, um, possible within how we build this technology. But number two is sort of data or number three is, is you know, data leakage and unexpected consequences. So, again, it ties back to that information um, management aspect. And so looking at that list, you as a security team can kind of work down and say, Based on these concerns, here are the technical pieces we're going to put in place. So maybe some restrictions or, um, you know, some uh, specific processes in place to handle these things. And then here's the education we're going to do around it. Um, and here's how we're going to monitor for that and how it's working. And so that's a great way to shape your sort of security policy and practice as a team. And then the secondary use of these lists are for the people who are building the low-code, no-code platforms. So the teams at AWS, at Google, at all the startups in this space, they can look at these lists and say, these are the big security concerns. What can we do in our platforms to make this easier and simpler? So if we go to that example of everything connects as me, something as simple as a pop-up when a user tries to make a connection to something like a Salesforce and providing in-context education of saying, hey, Jana, you're about to connect this application to Salesforce as you. Maybe you want to do that as a generic, as a service account specific for this app. Here's why. And use better wording than service account. But essentially, you know, explain in the moment um, what's going on. And so I love the OWASP initiatives. I love the fact that the low-code, no-code uh, list is this far along because it helps both those security teams and the people building the platforms deliver better security outcomes. And that's really what we are all trying to do. Deliver better security outcomes because this will help push that business innovation fast. And this is where we'll wrap up. A big thanks to Mark for sharing his insights and for letting us post this as a podcast. I also wanted to remind you that Mark does have an article on SD Times talking about this very thing. So read the show notes for that link. 